welcome again. Hey, we're glad you're here, especially as uh, they were saying earlier, if you're a first-time guest, um, we're especially happy you're here. I know how hard it can be the first time you ever come to a church. It can be very difficult. Uh, you're wondering if they're going to make me do anything weird or awkward, and uh, we're going to do our best not to do that, but help you to what Pastor Dan just said, to engage with and connect with God's heart and who God is today. And so we've been doing a series, and you're joining us in a series that we're in right now, and it's called Make me like. And so in Make Me Like, let me kind of bring you up to speed, especially for your church family. You've been here for a while. Make Me Like is a series where we actually come together in the fall. We want to grow in every aspect of our faith. And so one of the things I was thinking about during this series that maybe will help to shape this series for you, a little phrase that maybe you can drill down in is, is life full or is life just filled? And I was thinking about this in my own life as I've been trying to engage with a series. It seems like to me sometimes life is just filled with stuff. Have you been there? It's like I can't quite get a break. I can't quite find a rhythm. It gets very difficult. And I think what the Lord wants in our lives is our lives not just be filled with stuff and activity. He wants our lives to be full, full with his very presence in every way. And we look at that in four different ways as we engage in this series. We look at it in the way that we gather together. And so when we gather together, both in large group and in small group, our goal is that we would actually be full, not just full numerically, but full of God's hope, full of God's presence, and full of love for one another. And we see that in different ways. One of the ways that we've actually seen that here at our church during this series is increased baptisms. We've seen an increase in people responding to Jesus as far as wanting to follow him. If you weren't aware, we're going to be having baptisms actually again in Salisbury, believe it or not, at the YMCA because we have a couple uh, people that need the ability to be able to walk into the pool and can't quite do the steps. So that's another thing coming, but we've seen increased baptisms. Another thing is we've seen an increased um, desire for people to engage in prayer. And we've been seeing that not only in our large gathering, but we've also been seeing that in our small gatherings. We've seen people connect in groups in different ways. You've seen new groups birth. We've seen an increase in people connected to groups. And if you're not familiar with groups, groups is where you really share your life with people, you pray with people, you study God's word together. It's really where the life of the church happens. And uh, Tony, who's our discipleship director, and I've said this to him, I'll say it to you, and I, I actually do mean this. You'll think it's a gimmicky thing, but I mean this. If you had to pick between being here on a Sunday and be a part of a group, I would tell you every day, pick group. Pick group. Why would I say that? Because that's when you're going to build relationships with people where you're going to pray together, you're going to share your faith together, you're going to read God's word together. These are the people that when life gets hard, they will be there for you. And if you can't get in a group, birth a group, build a group, grab some people that you actually enjoy spending time with. In this series, we've also been doing this. If you're a guest, this will sound a little goofy, so you can check out on this part a little bit. But as a church family, we've been actually asking our church to raise its generosity. And so one of the things I want to share with you, because we've been trying to uh, replace our boilers, and we're also trying to do greater missional work in our community. And uh, if you're just joining us, we depleted our entire fund to do that. And so we've been raising that fund. And I just want to give you an update real quick, because we've been seeing from now until the end of the series, we're raising special dollars to do that. And so right now, you're at $12,000, church family. You've raised that up to this point. Um, that's that slide I gave you. Yep, so that's where we are in our campaign goal. So that's pretty cool. If you're a visitor, this is not something we're going to hit you with. Don't worry. You're not going to get like a weird pledge card 
card or we're going to ask you for this. It's something we're doing as a church family so that we can actually fund some of the things that God's doing. I just want to give our church family an update on that. Another thing that we've been doing with this is we've been doing a lot of missions work, engaging the community in unique and different ways. Uh, we have trunk or treat coming up and people are starting to gather candy. Some of you are excited, Brittany. Brittany's excited. She gets to dress up and give away candy. And uh, that's been a fun event that we've been seeing God move in an incredible way. And then I want to present an opportunity to you that just came to our church. Um, if you're not aware, this church is the Code Purple site for the entire um, area for Sussex County. Now, what does that mean? All of the women in our area that don't currently have an address or home are housed here December through March until they can actually get some stuff worked out in their lives. So one of the areas that we need a leader in is something called a site director. Our site director this year said they could not do that. And so for us to continue being a Code Purple site, this is a missions opportunity for someone. If you would like to lead that and want to know more about that, you need to come and find me. Because for us to do this, we need a site director. And if you feel like you've got good organizational skills, you have a heart and a passion for people that definitely are homeless at this point without an address, then this is an opportunity for you to go missionally. It's one more way that we can engage in this series. Now, let me jump into what this series has been about. So we've been looking at character studies. And in character studies, we've been looking at mentor and mentee relationships both men and women, and we've been going back and forth with us so that we can learn how we can grow in our interrelationships with each other. And so this week, we get to look at a really unique relationship. Before I get there, though, let me kind of paint the picture for you and see if maybe this is something that's going to hit home where you are. Have you ever felt like someone who was left out? That you're someone that's on the outs of everything. You're, you're someone that in, in your life, you feel alone. You feel like the world is kind of against you from every angle in every way, okay? So I think a lot of people can relate to how that feels and what that's like and what that does to them. When the story you're about to look at and we're gonna look at this character, you're gonna look at this couple named Esther and Mordecai. And in this relationship, you're gonna find they were on the outs. They were truly struggling with what it meant to be a part of this culture and the culture actually turned on them in an extremely violent way. To give you some history behind this so you can kind of connect this, so, this is a, so that you can see how this worked within the, the timeline of history, um, Israel was sent, we talk about Israel, right? What's going on right now in the Middle East? Okay, Israel was sent from where they were into captivity. They went to a place called Babylon and they were under the rule of a different group of people in Babylon. After 70 years, they got to actually come back to their home. They got to come back to Israel. They got to come back to Jerusalem. But what you may not know is some people said, you know what, we're going to stay. And Esther and Mordecai are two of those people that said, we're going to stay. We're not going to go back to Israel. We're going to hang out here. It's an interesting thing about this book that we're going to kind of uh, go through. It's the only book in all of the Bible where the name of God is not even mentioned. It's an interesting dynamic. So the name of God is not even mentioned in the text. And a lot of people think that's connected to the fact that they had been so far from the homeland, they'd been so far from their faith, they'd been so far isolated that they couldn't even think or conceive of how to put that here. The sacrificial system, which is how the Jewish people actually worship God, there's no mention of that also in this particular book. Technically, these two people are cousins, but what makes this even more interesting is the reality of the adoptive nature of Mordecai to Esther. So they're cousins, and Mordecai sees that Esther's left without a family. And so he says, you know what? I'm going to adopt you, 
as if you are my own. And he brings her into his home and they raise her in a very unique and very special way. There's a unique adoptive relationship in this book. Then the king of that area, who's not their king through uh, as far as their, their faith background, but the king in this area says, you know what? My wife's not performing very well for me. Now, I would not recommend this if you're the king or if you are, um, this didn't work out for Henry and England very well either. If you're the person who thinks that you're in charge, it's not a good idea to go, you know what? This wife of mine's not working out very well, so I'm gonna get a new one. That's actually what happens in this book. And he's like, I'm gonna go looking for a new wife. As he goes to look for a new wife, Esther is the one that kind of bubbles to the surface. And he's like, wow, this is an amazing woman. So he brings her into his home, has a new wife. They were able to do that. That's a different issue we can cover later. And then there was this guy that rose to power in the same time. His name's Haman. And Haman has got a little bit of an ego. You ever met somebody at work that's got an ego? Like it's all about them and they're not afraid to tell you and you need to do whatever they say and that's the way it goes. Okay, that's Haman. And Haman says, hey, I want everybody to bow to me now that I'm in this new role that I've been promoted. But Mordecai won't do it. He won't bow down to Haman. And so Haman's like, okay, you're not gonna play by the rules. I'm gonna take you out. And not only am I gonna take you out, I'm gonna take out all of the people of Israel that now live in this area of Persia. I'm gonna trick the king into an edict where he's gonna have him kill every single person of your ethnic background. Woo, this is how this book starts. This is what's in the heart of this book. And then Mordecai comes to Esther one day and he says, hey, now that you're queen, now that you've got this role, you need to approach the king. And as you approach the king, you need to tell him, fix this. There was just this little bitty problem. If you've read this book before, anyone that approached the king uninvited, guess what happened to them? They were killed. You could not approach the king without the king inviting you into there. And there were just a few rules around that. So she took a risk and she says, you know, I'm not sure. And Mordecai's like, look, you're going to share in the fate of us one way or the other because you're Jewish. So she goes into the king and she says to the king what's going on. And the king figures out what's happening. And the whole table's turn. And he says, hey, look, you guys can defend yourself. I'm going to issue a new edict. And it, it worked out pretty well for the Jewish nation in this case. This is the story that you walk through. And Haman actually gets hung on the gallows that he actually made for Mordecai. So that's the, this is the story in a nutshell. Now, why don't I tell you the whole story? You're like, okay, we're good. Let's go, right? All right, Applebee's, right? No, that's not, not why I tell you this. I tell you the whole story in advance because I want you to start from the end and I want us to work backward through this story. A lot of times we see the end result of something and we don't get to then take it apart and go, what was in the midst of all of this that set it all up to work that way relationally? And so if you're at a place in your life where you feel like you're being treated unfairly, you're being persecuted, you feel like the world's against you, you feel like things are stacked against you, then this message is going to mean a lot to you. Because you're going to see that there were things that built them up to this moment of making a stand that undergirded them in a way that they said, now we can do that. So the first thing you're going to see is this. When you look at this relationship with Esther and Mordecai, they could never have imagined God's big plan in this whole scheme of things. So I give you that story, that synopsis of their life. There's no way that they could have seen all the pieces, seen the whole plan. They didn't know the mission. They didn't know what God was about. They just knew what their itty bitty part of that was going to be. Now, what we know as we look at the end of this, here's what God was doing. 
God wanted to preserve, discipline, and restore the people of Israel. And what's interesting to me is these are people that weren't walking well with God. I want you to hear that. Sometimes we get this weird thing that we think, we think Christians have this thing called Christian karma, which doesn't exist. Okay, that's a different religious system. We don't have karma. It's not like if you don't do this, then God's going to punish you. Or if you, if you do this, then God's going to bless you, okay? That's, that's not the way Christianity works. It's a very unique faith. And in the faith, God sees where you are, and he's always constantly working to help you take a step toward him in faith. What I love about this story is these people, think about this, when it was finally time to go back to the promised land, 70 years are up, they get to go back, they're like, no thanks. So they must have had it pretty good or something was going on to keep them there. And you would think that God would say, well, if you're not gonna listen to my commands, if you're not gonna listen to what I said, if you're not actually gonna come back to where you're supposed to be, then I'm gonna actually let you die in the land, but he didn't. He ends up rescuing them in the midst of this mess. And to me, that's a beautiful picture that I think all of us need to hear because sometimes we think if I mess up or if I'm not the right place or if I, if I don't do what God exactly wants, God's gonna punish me. And the larger story of God's mission supersedes all of this. So I wanna start with the end in mind. So we're gonna actually start with chapter nine. And I want you to see what happens at the end of this book and then work our way back. So we're gonna start with chapter nine. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We'll try to put it on the screen for you and try to keep you uh, caught up. But in nine, we're gonna start with verse 20. Look what it says. Mordecai recorded these events and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. As a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Man, it sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? Okay, but it's a different holiday. Okay, but that's what it sounds like. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, uh, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them, and it cast the pur, which is in a different language, just means the lot, okay, for their ruin and their destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head. And then he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word Pur because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed at the appointed time or at the time appointed. So this is the very end. So what happens is they're saved in such a miraculous way. They're like, let's have a holiday about it. Like, let's celebrate this. So what was actually going on was this larger plan that God was doing. They had no idea that everything was going to be put together would fill God's whole plan. And I love that when you look at this, that God still does this. Let me give you some pieces of that. There was no way, we'll come back to this in a second, that she could have known she was going to be queen. There was no way that Mordecai could have known he was going to have great influence in the community he was a part of. They couldn't see their role in the whole, which we talked about last week with another character. But what they didn't know was that they were supposed to respond to God 
by going and being responsive to God and faithful to what God was doing, especially in the world they were living in. So one of the things that um, I think is applicable to this in our world today that I see all the time, a lot of times we think of church this way. We need to go to church. And we've lost the whole idea that it's not about going to church. It's about being the church. And when you're being the church, when you are the church, you understand that you're on this broader, bigger mission that God's been doing for thousands of years where he's been talking about good news of who he is and how much he loves people and wants to see those people back in good relationship with who he is. So that's not about going to a destination. That's not about consuming a certain style of church. It's about actually engaging in the rescue mission that God's a part of. And they didn't even know it, but that's what they were being drawn into. One of the things I'm proud about as far as values that we set as a church is we, we, do, we do four things, right, church family? We gather and we grow and we give and we go. And it's funny when I talk to other pastors, they're like, how many people have you sent away from your church? And we start going through the numbers. We're like, well, this person went there and this person went there and this person's going there. And soon, shortly, right, Pastor Danny's gonna be going where? Puerto Rico. There's something about the nature of when you understand that you're on the mission, that you know that when God says to go, the answer is always yes. That there's something bigger that God's doing that I can't see. Pastor Danny can't see what God's gonna do over the next one to two years when he's actually doing a one to two year mission in Puerto Rico. But what he does know is his responsibility is to say yes to what God has asked of him. That's true of every single person in this room. God will call you to certain things and you won't know the big plan of what he's doing, but you're supposed to say, yes, God. And then when you look back, you'll go, oh, that's what he was doing. That's why it's so cool to start with the end in mind, to see what God did in the lives of these two people and how he saved a whole group of people. And all they knew is they had to say, yes. That's why I want to start with the end in mind. Look at what he said to Queen Esther in verse 29. So Queen Esther, daughter, I love these names, Abihail, along with Mordecai, the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the, section, the second letter concerning the perm. So now she's writing, okay? And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in, in the 127 provinces of the king of Xerxes. That's a lot. Words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and the queen of Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard to their times of fasting and lamentation, Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. So the same thing that's going on with Mordecai, the same thing that's going on with hers, we're like, hey, listen, let's celebrate what God did. Let's celebrate how God saved God's people. I'm sure Esther could have never guessed in a million years a woman who somehow was thrown away and not worthy in some way to be connected to her biological family. She was actually connected to her cousins, that's biological, but not close family. Would through that adoption one day understand that God was gonna put her in a position where she would save all the people. All she had to do was then just be someone who loved the family she was in, connected to them, and gave all of her life to them in a way that God could shape. This is not only true of biological adoption, it's also true 
of the adoption that we have when we become a part of the Christian family. You have no idea when you say yes to being a part of a Christian family, to being on mission with them, to being in group with them, to worshiping with them, to sharing your life with them, how God is gonna shape your life and their life because of how you're connected together. And that's a bigger picture than even just one gathering of God's family. It's a big picture of how God's on mission. I wanna tell you about a friend of mine who we've been working with and who has quite a bit of affluence and influence, especially influence in this season. The guy wants us to take our affluence and our influence. He wants us to use them in connection to his mission. It's a buddy of mine named Richard Pope. Some of you know Richard. Richard's a pastor who planted in Salisbury not long ago. What I want to show you about Richard, and I want to share this with you because I think you should learn about his story because I think this is a modern version of the same story, is Richard planted a church, and the week he was to plant the church, he found out he had terminal cancer, that he had two, maybe four years to live. And he could take those two to four years, he could live in such a way where he could just enjoy his life and his family, or he could invest those few years in the planting of his church because he wanted to see the mission of God impact the people of God around him in the Salisbury area. And they wrote, this is a um, podcast that recently came out, and I want to give you the code if you want to actually follow it. This is Richard's podcast that was done recently by um, our denomination. And in the podcast, you get to hear Richard's story, and you get to hear a modern version of a guy who in every way should have said no. His life was difficult. Um, I told Richard, I called him up after I started listening to the podcast. I'm like, thanks a lot, bro. Like, I need one more thing to cry about. I'm listening to your stupid podcast. I'm on the road, and I had to pull over <laughs> on the side because of just listening to what you've been through, how hard it was, how heinous it was, and yet how good God was in the middle of one of the worst stories I've ever heard. Unimaginable horrors happened in this young man's life early on. And yet God chose to grab him out of a nasty situation and birth a church with his obedience. This is what it means to know there's a mission. There's a bigger thing that God's doing and all God's wanting you to do in that situation is say, yes, Lord, I don't know all the details, but I know you're asking me to go this far. And so therefore I'm going to go there. Y'all know uh, right now I'm trying to finish a book myself. The book I'm trying to finish is on how churches get rebirthed and revitalized. And I tell you that not to pump myself up, but when I think about this book and my burden to write it, it's because I see in the larger mission of the church that most churches care more about themselves than they care about their communities. And so that's something that needs to change. And that's something that kind of is inside of me to see the church change as a whole, which is why I wanted to write the book. The other thing I think was really interesting in studying this passage, just for you on the side, because I think God sometimes in the, in the strangest details is Purim is still a holiday practiced by the Jewish faith. They still celebrate the day that God delivered them from this heinous act. And this year on 2024, they will celebrate the same holiday on March the 23rd through the 24th. They're going to celebrate a holiday that's all about a marginalized people that another group of people didn't care about that thought were expendable. Do y'all know what we're doing on that date in 2024 for March 23rd? We'll be having the gemstones prom on that exact date. It's almost like God knew in his providence what he was doing, huh? We didn't pick that date knowing that was why, but when I was looking at this, I'm like, that can't be by accident. That if you're not familiar with gemstones, that is a special needs prom for every special needs individual across the peninsula to say you are loved by God, you are valued, you're important, you matter, 
and you have purpose on this planet, that all life matters and we want to invest that in you. And so that is a fun night. And I just can't believe that now when I'm doing this passage and looking at it, that those two things connect in such a cool way. The second thing you're going to see as we work backward through this, what prepared them was this. They grew through that adoptive process. There was something unique about the adoptive process, bringing people in to say that they mattered, that changed their life. I don't know if you know this, but adoption is very close to the heart of God. I was thinking of several of you as families when I was praying over this message. I was thinking about some of the families that have done adoptions in the last few years and how you, you made those adoptions based on faith. And you made those because you know that God loves people and that he wants children to grow up in great families and in great homes with love and with care. And that's exactly what happened in this passage. And it's exactly what's at the heart of who God is. Look at Esther 2, 5 through 7. Now there was in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive was Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features. Translation for us, she was smoking hot. And Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. There's something, and that's why she gets picked by the king. That's not why Mordecai picked her. Mordecai picked her because he saw a young woman who needed an investment and wanted her to have a home. When I was thinking about this, not only did I think of you as families, but I thought about my mom, who, and if you, I don't know if you grew up in a family like this, but my family, there was a constant barrage of people coming into the house that I didn't know. Anybody live in a family like that? Like mom adopted people all the time for seasons because they were just without a home or they needed a place to go. And I remember we had two cousins that were living in New York. Their dad had died in Vietnam. My dad had a relationship with them. And uh, these two cousins, Tommy and Eddie, lived in our house and grew up. And they were like, they weren't like family. They are family. There was no biological connection to us. But we still have this amazing relationship. And the relationship that we have has forever shaped who they are. And it's forever shaped who I am. This is not only how adoption works, again, in the immediate family, but it also works this way in the Christian family. We've missed this. We've missed this whole idea that when we get adopted into the Christian family, that we have this place of belonging and purpose and meaning. I think about some of the people that have adopted me in my life. Um, a guy named Dave Wilkins. Some of you have heard me talk about Dave. Dave was a stepdad that I got. Not all stepdads and stepmoms are bad, right? Some of them actually are good. And Dave was one of those guys that taught me what it meant to walk in faith. He taught me what it meant to be a husband and a dad and a father because I didn't get that in my biological home. But Dave taught me that. There was an adoption there, and it shaped my faith and my life. I think about a guy named Bill Sterling, who I was just on the phone with on the way here and praying with as I was going to give this message. And Bill's my pastor. He's the pastor that I learned what it meant to be a pastor. He's the pastor that I still meet with and talk with and shapes my journey in my life. I've grown through these relationships. And so when I say to people, get in group, it's not because I need to fill a program for numbers. It's not because it's the system that we've picked. When I say get in group and get in relationship, I tell you that because of this. Those relationships are going to be what shape your life. They're the relationships that have shaped mine. And if you're new to our church, 
This is not a program that you join. It's not something you just jump into. All you have to do to launch a group is find some people you like, okay? Can you all do that? You have some people you like. It's not a good idea to launch a people with people you don't like. It usually doesn't go well. Find people you like. Have tea with them. Have coffee with them. Have a meal with them. Play basketball with them. Go for a bike ride. If you're into motorcycles, do a motorcycle thing. You find the nature by which that you want to gather with them. And when you gather with them, you all know this, right? You're going to share three things, aren't you? God's word, one thing that God did that's a win in your life, and one thing you're wrestling with. And as you build those relationships, I guarantee they will go deeper and deeper and deeper. I love my growth group right now because that group is something that's actually helping me grow every day. The third thing that you see is we work backwards. So they had to have that adoptive process to be able to be ready for one day what God was about to do. And the third thing was they needed encouragement and prayer. If you want to be on mission with God, you've got to have encouragement and you've got to have prayer. Now, what's interesting is there's a bunch of commentators, and I read this passage, and they said, um, hey, there's no prayer in the whole book of Esther either, but I don't know if you've ever fasted, and I'm not talking about fast because you're getting blood work tomorrow, but when you fast spiritually, what always happens when you fast? You pray, right? Anybody that fasts without prayer, I don't know what's wrong with you because it's not fun. Obviously, I like to eat, and I'm not going to fast for just no reason. When I fast, there's always going to be prayer. Susan knows it because she looks at me after about the first 12 to 14 hour period. She's like, you're getting that goofy brain again. I can see it happening with you right now. And the reason is, is when I'm fasting, every time I think about being hungry, it's because I'm supposed to be praying about something specific. And I love in this text, when she realizes she's got to go up against the king, that she may get her life actually may be taken, that this is a really bad situation. The first thing she asks them to do is to fast and to pray. Look at it. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Don't think just because you're in the king's house alone, all the Jews, um, uh, you alone will escape, um, unlike all the Jews. For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And I want you to stop there for a second. And I want you to see something that God's saying that's a big deal. God's gonna accomplish his mission with or without you and me. With or without you and me. That's what he's saying. The people of Israel are still going to get rescued, but you're going to miss out on it. Now keep going. And, those, and, and he says, for, the, for if you remain silent at this time, verse 14, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise to another place, but you and your family, father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. If you've got a Bible or a phone, that's a text that you need to underline or highlight so you can come back to it. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, um, days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I'll go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. This is huge. So how do, you, how do you prepare for just such a time as this? That's really what's at the heart of this whole message. God's gonna bring you to some moments in your life, moments in time that you're gonna go, why am I in this situation? Why have I been brought to this moment? 
It's not a comfortable moment. It's not a good moment. And you're going to look back and you say, but I've been encouraged by this group that adopted me into the family. They've undergirded me. They've given me wisdom. They've taught me the Bible. They pray for me. They're there for me. They'll take a bullet for me. These are those kind of people that you've got in your life. And when that happens, those are the kind of people that not only fast, but pray for you in that situation so that God's divine hand might be revealed for such a time as this. This is why groups become so important. I'll never forget when I was at an engineering firm. I was an engineer for about nine years, and the owner of the company um, was an outspoken Christian. He did not hide his faith. He told you he was a Christian. Uh, there was just a little problem. His brand of Christianity was one that was a little, little off for me. It's a little harsh sometimes the way he handled people. And I've always looked at the Christian faith as all about my relationship with Jesus, my relationship with people. And he decided one day, because we had some new equipment that was really working well, that we didn't need certain people in our company anymore, that they weren't as needed because this equipment replaced them. And so two weeks before Christmas, he laid off some of our machinists. Two weeks. And I remember going, man, the guy's got money. I know he's got money. I know the company's got money. Why would we do that two weeks before Christmas? And I fasted and I prayed and I asked other people, am I the guy that's supposed to go and confront this nut? Because it may make me lose my job, which I'm okay with, but I need to know if I've been put in this place for such a time as this. Interestingly, in this situation, it came back no. This is why it's so important you fast and you pray and you have other people because there was another guy in the company that was in a far better position than I was to confront the owner, and he did. So God confronted it. I'm not sure exactly how the whole thing fleshed out. The people still lost their jobs. We were able to then love on them a little bit on the back end just personally. But these are the kind of moments that happen all the time in your life and mine. Here's another one. A buddy of mine was going through a very difficult situation. He was thinking about leaving his wife. And I fasted and I prayed and I asked other uh, friends in my group to fast and pray with me. And on this one, God said, yep, you're the guy. You have to confront this. You got to be the one to tell him he's an idiot and he's a moron and here's what's wrong. You ever been there? Yeah, that's love, by the way. You don't say it that way. That's not the way you usually present it, okay? But we had lunch one day. It was funny. He said, here's what he said to me. I'll never forget the words. He said, I already know what you're going to say. I already know you're Christianese. I'm like, okay, let me have it. He says, you're going to tell me divorce is wrong because in the Bible it says it's wrong. I said, nope, that's not what I came to tell you. He's like, really? I said, well, that's right. I'm not saying that's not right. I said, but that's not why I came to tell you. I'm the product of divorce. My parents divorced when I was 13. I'm here to tell you that when God says in Malachi that he hates divorce, there's a reason why he hates it. Because the kids have to deal with the fallout of it, and so does the whole family. I'm here to present to you what the fallout looks like. And I'm praying to God that you work it out. If you don't, God's good. God will still make good out of the messes that we create. Amen? Just like this situation. But here's the other reality. If I can save you the pain of this and your children the pain of this, that's why we're having lunch today. That's what I came to tell you. That word of wisdom didn't come from me because I'm not that smart. It came from fasting and prayer 
and having a group of people around me that were willing to fast and pray with me. If you don't have that, you need that. So do you have that? If today you were given the news that you had terminal cancer like Richard, do you have a group right away that you would say, those are the people that are gonna pray with me, fast with me, be there for me, be there for my family, we're gonna make sure everything's okay. If you don't have that group, you need that group because those moments are coming for you and I and that's why it's so important we're in Christian fellowship. How easy is that to do? You walk right over that desk, gather, grow, and you look at that goofy dude with a beard who can never stay awake, who has a black shirt on, that one waving at you right now, and he'll say, I'll help you. I will help you. I'll help you get a group, form a group, find a group, launch a group. That's his whole world. That's what he wants to do. If you're a man and you're like, I need that right now in my life, I need that group of people to do that with me, then here's some good news for you. The men are leaving in just two weeks for a men's retreat. Are you going? Are you going to be there? By the way, we moved it from where we were right here on uh, the Eastern shore because of certain situations. I love how God takes the messes that we think are a disaster. And he says, oh, I want to fix that. And he moved it right here for us, less than an hour away. Next week, are you going? Because I guarantee you this, those group of guys are going to pray for you, love you, and you're going to be challenged to grow in your faith. All you got to do that is go talk to that same desk and sign up for the group. It's going to be uh, October the 19th through the 21st, and we would love to have you there. So here's my last question for you as we get ready to transition into a time for the Lord's table. Are you ready for such a time as this? Are you ready for it? Because I want you to know it's coming. Whether it's a relational problem, a business problem, a finance problem, the end of the world problem, it's coming. And when it comes, you need an adoptive family that's the church. And you need a connected group of people that are going to be there for you, to love you, and to help you through that. So the first thing that you do in preparing for such a time as this is you get adopted in the family. How do you get adopted into the family? The Christian family is an easy family to be adopted into. It begins with you understanding that you and I have a problem. Does anybody know what the problem that all of humanity has is called? Sin. Had someone recently tell me, it was amazing, and I want to explain this in a very simple way because I think it's important. They said, I don't know what my sin is. And they weren't saying that to be sarcastic or funny. They were really trying to figure out in the world we live in, what is sin? Sin is when you and I miss the mark that God has purposed for our life. Do you know that God fearfully and wonderfully created every single person in this room? He created with you with purpose and meaning, and he has a mission for you. And when we miss that mark in different ways, that's called sin. It then interrupts our relationship with God that we're supposed to have and our relationship with each other in interrelationships. That's what sin is. It comes out in a lot of different ways, and everybody's sin looks different, but all sin equally separates us from each other and from God. And here's the problem with religion. What religion does is what? They say to get into the family, you got to play by the rules, and here are the rules. Pray this way, talk this way, give this much. They give you all the rules that then define how you can be a part of the family, but that's not the Christian family. The Christian family says, we re- Jesus said, I realize you would never do enough, pray enough, be good enough to ever get in the family. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bridge the gap for you. I'm going to come to earth. He leaves heaven, comes to earth at the perfect time, 
lives the perfect life for three and a half years in ministry that we could live for 33 and a half total, but three and a half in ministry. And the end of his ministry in his life, his service to humanity, he says, now I'm going to bridge the gap. I'm going to die for you. And my blood is going to cover over your sin. And because of what I've done to die for you, you now have a perfect pathway back to the Father where you can have that relationship. You'll be saved. That's exactly what happened in this text. And that's exactly what God wants now to be in the family. And all we do to appropriate that is we believe. We believe in what Jesus has done that he paid for our sins. And then we commit our life to his care, which by the way, he meets you exactly where you are. Talk to people all the time. They're like, well, what if I'm struggling with this? Or what if I'm dealing with this? Or what if I'm, you know, just a, a person that's not a good person? That's not what God's looking for. What God's looking for are people that know that they're at a place that they need someone to save them. That's why Jesus came. That's why we call him Savior. So if you've never put your hope and your faith and your trust in Christ alone, that's how you get in the family. So that's what we want to do to give you an opportunity not only to get into the family, but also for some of us, we need to kind of be renewed in the family. You ever been to that awkward Thanksgiving dinner where there's tension between you and some of the people there? And you know it's because there's a relational thing that's not been cared for. That's another thing we do when we renew our faith. When we renew our faith, we renew our faith with Christ. And in doing that, it makes our relationship with him right and our relationship with one another. So let's pray and do that right now. Father in heaven, right now for each and every person that's here, I know that there are different places in their faith. I don't think there's a person here that we can't relate to sometimes feeling on the outs, uh, feeling like we don't belong, that there's something not quite right, that we're off. The world that we live in is not a very accepting world. They give us rules and things that we have to do to belong. Father, thank you so much then the person of Jesus, we don't have to do that. That you decided to fix the whole thing on our behalf by dying the death that we deserved. Because you said that we earn death when we sin, that the wage of sin is death. And we thank you that we didn't get what we deserved, just like Esther and Mordecai didn't. But we got your grace and your love and your mercy. And in our case, we got that in the person of Jesus. Lord, we take this moment just to let you search our heart. Would you search our heart? Show us anything in us that's wrong, that misses the mark, that keeps us from being rightly related to you and rightly related to one another. Lord, as you, as you looked at my heart, you showed me something that's not right. Father, I, I pray that you did that for every person here. And every time I've tried to fix that, I get so frustrated. It never comes out the way I hoped it would. And I get worn out and tired. Father, I know there's people in this room that get worn out and tired because their life is not where they want it to be and it's not where you want it to be. We don't have the power to fix that. 
but we know one who does. Lord Jesus, we want to put our faith and our trust and our hope in what you've done when you died on that cross. When you were nailed to it, you paid for the sin of every single person in this room. Father, we want to recognize that and accept what you've done and just say, thank you. If you've come here today with a burden, if you've come here today with a lack of hope, if you've come here today needing salvation, would you just thank Jesus that he died for your sin and for the sins of the people you love most? Would you thank him now in your own prayer back to him? Lord, the mystery of what you do in our life, of how you save us and how you graciously do that with no expectation in return, amazes us. Lord, it, it draws us to you in a loving way because you first loved us. And so we come to you asking you to transform our heart this day, to live out your life through us, that you might love other people in a way that we can't even understand through our very lives. Bring us to your mission. Put us on your footing. Put people in our life today that we can share the love of Christ with and remind us each day this week that we are loved and we are valued and that you died for us and that all you ask is a love relationship in return, that it's real and authentic we commit our life to you fresh and new this day. And all God's people said, amen, amen.